Chapter 10. Possessions. Henry Davies had entered into his fifties the prior year. He was conscious of his painful vanity around the matter and was keenly aware that, despite his best efforts, there was only so much combing he could do to relieve the sight of his balding pate. All that lovely, strawberry blonde hair of his youth had gone the way of the dodo bird and would not be sprouting back up any time soon. There was but one springtime in a man's life, and Henry knew, at this point, spring was past, and summer had just come to an abrupt close. How apt the name fall, he thought. He also knew that his British Army-issue trousers were not actually shrinking in the Laos wash tubs, but he tried to believe it, because to accept that the rum might be responsible for his growing paunch would be tantamount to a confession of alcoholism, and that did not interest him in the slightest. So he combed his hair as well as he could and used a borrowed kitchen knife to twist out another hole in his belt, and he soldiered on with as much grace as possible, aided by the comfort of his rum and the occasionally pilfered communion wine that made its way to the front in large vats. The wine pilfering was a simple matter, and no one seemed to mind. After all, Henry Davies was the keeper of the keys. Henry had been the chaplain to D Company since November of 14, and it had worn him, body and soul and everything in between. The viacetum of last rites he had delivered, now almost countless times, had gone from an impassioned plea full of love and steadfast belief in a merciful creator to a rote, and thus painless to deliver, spiel. As you are outwardly anointed with this oil, so may our Heavenly Father grant you the inward anointing of the Holy Spirit. Of his great mercy may he forgive you your sins, release you from suffering, and restore you to wholeness and strength. May he deliver you from all evil, preserve you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. It made him sick that this is what he had come to. His pre-war oratory had been a thing to behold. He'd often been told that had he not been a chaplain, the stage would have been blessed by his presence. Alas, as Good Friday approached, he more than once awoke in a cold sweat, heart palpitating from a recurring nightmare that found him stripped naked at the pulpit, having forgotten to write a sermon and unable to recall a single line of biblical verse. The one pleasant part was that, in the nightmare, he still had his full luxurious head of hair. Henry was not a stupid man. He knew that this was God's way of telling him to do the work that he had been put on this earth to do. So he skipped his nightly tots of rum and set about to write a Good Friday sermon that would bring back God's grace to his charges. These worn-down young men of 2nd Platoon Company D, who would be back in the meat grinder presently, alongside the officer corps that would lead them to their slaughter. But try as he might, he could not put pen to paper in any meaningful way. He knew that he had failed mightily to craft a sermon that would deliver anyone from anything. Now the medical staff and the boys of 2nd Platoon not on fatigue duty were gathered in the Abbey Chapel in front of Chaplain Davies. They were singing the last strains of the old hymnal, Behold the Glories of the Lamb. At the back of the congregation, Caitlin O'Leary entered, closing the door quietly behind her. To Henry, 
She seemed distracted, her mind elsewhere, but he understood. Softening his brains with alcohol was his conscious effort to distract from the life they were leading, the death they were dying. He watched to make a way to stand beside a man wearing the uniform of the British Army. On his left sleeve was the white band and red cross of a doctor. Under his arm was a distinctive Aussie Akubra slouch hat, left side pinned to the crown. Chaplain Davies knew that Dr. Philip Halstead hated this shit. He was a strict disbeliever. Once you'd seen as much dying as he had, the idea of someone merciful overseeing this macabre death march was the silliest goddamn thing you had ever heard in your life. Just standing there was wearing on him, body and soul. In particular, because unlike Henry Davies, Dr. Halstead was not ashamed to actively embrace his voices. And right then, the Navy players cut smokes in his jacket pocket, was singing to him their lovely song, about ten times louder than the boys were crooning the chorus to Behold the Glories of the Lamb. He was quite aware that the tobacco's siren song would shortly devolve into violent hectoring, demanding his compliance with its will. Bored nearly to tears, nudged and poked by his addiction, Dr. Halstead watched the earnest and in some cases awkward singing of the able-bodied boys and the last pair of his charges, two ambulatory wounded lads. He was glad to note Caitlin's arrival. Now a representative for the medical staff would be on hand, and he could fuck right off out of the confines of the chapel and into the warm embrace of a burning cigarette. Halstead grinned at Caitlin as she approached, a twinkle in his eye. He leaned in toward her, and his outback drawl crackled. Shame. You're tardy, Miss O'Leary. And you're welcome to my spot at the trough. Off to make rounds. Enjoy the festivities. With that, Halstead quietly and joyfully slipped out the back. Chaplain Davies caught sight of the doctor's departure as the boys all sang the final Amen. It stung to see audience exit before the performance had even begun, but Davies contented himself that Halstead was an Aussie, probably already past saving. Chaplain Davies and Caitlin made eye contact. He sent a gentle, self-conscious smile in her direction before he began. He'd always enjoyed the young Irish girl's company. He knew that she held the church and its representatives in reverence, even if she was a follower of the apostate Catholics, and he enjoyed basking in the glow of it. In the front row were the remaining officer corps, London-born Major Owen Wilkins of the pomaded hair. Owen cut a dashing figure still, but nothing prevented the wear that was evident in the crow's feet next to his eyes and the dark circles beneath them. Despite his outward show of spit and polish, Davies saw that the war was sucking the life from their leader. Beside Major Wilkins was Sergeant Bert Thomas. Bertie was from the opposite side of London, full of the grit and violence of the grifters and gangsters of Hackney. He was an excellent tool in Major Wilkins' kit with which to spur the men to do their bloody jobs, whether they wanted to or no, and the man took great pleasure in wielding the power of his sergeant's stripes. It seemed a full boat, so Chaplain Davies decided that he had best begin rowing. The sooner he started, the sooner it would be over. His rum jar was awaiting. 
He cleared his throat. Good Friday. His voice was crisp and clear, resounding off the stone walls perfectly, much to Davy's surprise. Good Friday. What does it mean? These were not the words written on the fool's cap paper in front of him, but for some reason, as if he no longer controlled his own mouth, he continued. What does it mean to us? He glanced down at the sermon he had written, and as if outside of his own body, he watched his hands folded in half. Then the words began to pour out in earnest. Good Friday, the day of our so-called Lord and Saviour's death before his supposed rebirth and his ultimate ascension. Dr. Halstead made his way into the evening air, pulling out a player's navy cut, glad to be out of the galling confines of the chapel. Self-righteous fucking buffoonery, he thought, as he struck a match and sucked in the cigarette smoke. He strolled past the Germans in their enclosure, and James Cox sitting alone by his motorbike, paying little mind to any of them. He came to the entryway and paused, pulling in another deep drag. As he exhaled, the smoke caught the light from the setting sun, which had begun its dip toward the western horizon, firing up the woods there and casting a warm amber glow on the stone and masonry facade of the nunnery. Private Harry Moss approached. Chapman's got himself a stem winder going, don't he, Doc? He hopes so, mate. He certainly hopes so. Saving us all from eternal damnation. Well, I could use some saving, Doc. Been here coming on a full year. This particular damnation feels eternal enough for me, you know. Halstead grinned darkly. Too well, mate. Halstead knew what was coming. Harry was not one to pass on bumming a smoke, given the opportunity. Halstead helped him skip the question, offering a cigarette, which Harry snatched up with a broad grin. Harry put the cigarette in his mouth and lit it, savouring the taste of the tobacco. He loved the feel of the paper on his lips, the burst of the loose of a match head and scent of its sulphur, followed by the comfort of the smoke as he drew it into his mouth. The climax was a breath that sucked it down into what always felt like his belly. He let the sensation wash through him. Mercy Baku, Doc. Halstead saw it before Harry did. Bloody hell. Across the fields, in the warm glow of the evening sun, came a horse-drawn wagon bearing a cage containing a fucking lion. Driving the wagon was a Cossack with a beat-to-shit Canadian lieutenant beside him on the buckboard. Halstead put his hands on his hips. Christ, just when you think you've seen all a man can say, the fucking circus comes to town. Chaplain Davies had found a rhythm that he was entirely unaccustomed to, but it had taken hold and would not let go. Intense and impassioned, he rolled with it, climbing, building. And on that Friday, that great Friday, that holy and good Friday, Peter, beloved of Jesus, did deny him, not once, not twice, but three times. When the men filed in that afternoon, most were sleepwalking through the day, glad not to be at the front, but not overjoyed to be heading in for a sermon. Yet now they were energized, engaged in a way Davies could not recall eliciting, even in his finest hours behind the lectern. Many in the chapel nodded in agreement with him as he gave his witness. Three times, Davies paused, 
to let his flock consider the horror and shame of Peter's cowardice. He looked out at the hollow-cheeked faces of young men brought to France to kill other young men, and for a moment it made him weary to the bone, wishing for his bed and his stash of rum and dreamless sleep. But a compulsion to continue pressed him onward. As I read my scriptures this morning, I thought, Why, God? Why would a man such as Peter, an apostle, a believer, a holy man, why would he deny his brother and his Lord? And the more I think on it, the more it angers me. And the greater my anger becomes, the more I come to know that my anger is a righteous anger. He took a breath to prepare, then he turned it. And yet, this rage, this righteous anger, it is not at Peter's denial of his Lord. On the faces of the men, slight flashes of uncertainty as they attempted to ride the chaplain's train of thought. Davies allowed himself a moment of showman's pride, knowing he had them on the hook for the big finish. My anger is at myself for the denials that I make every day, not of Jesus or God or the divine, but of the divinity native to all my fellow men, because when I deny their divinity, I deny Jesus not once, not twice, not thrice, but tens of thousands of times, which makes Peter's cowardly three denials trite in compare. We are guilty, brothers, guilty as Peter and worse, guilty as Pilate and worse, guilty as the Romans and worse. So on this Good Friday, brothers and sisters, I would ask that each of you think on your own hearts and look at the ways you have denied your fellow man and in so doing betrayed your human goodness. And then, change. Jesus lived and suffered and passed from his earthly body and rose up. I propose that each of us must do the same. We must grow. We must suffer without allowing that suffering to turn us away from the rest of humankind. We must pass through that suffering and be reborn more godly. We must rise up courageous and embrace every one of our brothers and sisters and never, ever be ashamed to call them just that. The room was dead silent. Every witness to Davy's sermon rapped. He brought the coup de grace. And Jesus said to his disciples, A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. Davies paused. He wiped the sweat from his brow. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There was silence as the congregants absorbed the blow that Davies had delivered. Davies began his benediction. Be with us, Spirit of God. The congregation started out of their reverie with the traditional call and response. Nothing can separate us from your love, they replied. Davies felt a flash of heat and fervor pass through him. Breathe on us, breath of God. Fill us with your saving power. Speak in us, wisdom of God. Bring strength, healing, and peace. The chapel was silent. The men's eyes closed, humbled in prayer. But in a sudden rush, Davies felt the Holy Spirit 
coursing through his body, vibrating in his loins, his stomach, his chest, his skull. Could the men feel it as well? He allowed himself one last inhalation of the experience, letting it rise up inside of him before he spoke. The Lord is here. His spirit is with us. Amen. Amen. There was a breath of silence. Then Ian McIntyre, the company piper, filled his bagpipe and the first bleating tones of amazing grace flowed out of the pipes. Henry Davies made his way down the centre aisle, looking at each of the men as he passed, seeing them, perhaps for the first time. He felt as though he was floating. The sensation of buoyancy akin to that first drink hitting the liver then flowing into the bloodstream. He came to stand beside Caitlin at the door. She looked at him with quiet awe. She whispered, Well done, Father. That was powerful. Davies felt a flush of pride and smiled. Thank you, Caitlin. High praise indeed, my girl. The congregation broke out of its reverie, rising and making for the exits, while amazing grace continued to resound off the walls. Major Wilkins and Sergeant Thomas were the first to reach the door. Wilkins shook Davies' hand. Quite the sermon, chaplain. Moving. Unexpectedly so. Quite something. Thank you, Major. We aim to please. Sergeant Bert Thomas's cockney voice piped up. Not bad, Padre. Not bad. For me personal, I'd have to say I prefer something along the lines of onward Christian soldiers. Above Old Testament, right? For the lad's fighting spirit, right? Davies smiled. That is what Easter's all about, after all. Catching no irony, Sergeant Thomas grinned and punched Davies in the shoulder. Amen to that, Padre. Amen to that. He clapped the chaplain on the back and headed out the exit. Caitlin stayed by Chaplain Davies' side as the rank-and-file boys shuffled past, offering their handshakes to Davies, mumbling their appreciation and receiving his blessing in return. Then, as the last man exited and Ian's amazing grace played its final mournful chord, Davies and Caitlin heard a commotion from outside in the courtyard. In a cockney voice, they could only be Sergeant Bert Thomas broke the spell. Jesus bloody Christ! Would you fucking look at that? Sounds like they're playing my tune out there. Davies shook his head ruefully. That Caitlin's ears should have to hear such a thing. <laughs>